All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At close of business, news briefing. Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. This is Simone Grogan with your top stories this Thursday afternoon. The $360 million redevelopment of Irwin Barracks in Karakata and the relocation of Lewin Barracks in East Fremantle have been deferred, casting doubt over key WA contracts and council development plans. The projects are two of seven nationally deferred by the federal government in response to April's Defence Strategic Review, which recommended reallocation of defence spending to higher priority initiatives. The deferral of Irwin's $360.5 million redevelopment could have implications for local contractor Doric Contracting. Doric was awarded a $285 million Department of Defence contract for the development phase of upgrades at Irwin in July 2021. That contract followed its successful delivery of the HMAS Stirling Redevelopment Stage 3A project for the department at Garden Island in 2020. When the contract was awarded, work at Irwin was scheduled to begin in mid-2023 for completion in 2026. The scope of work included refurbished cadet, recreation, headquarters and training facilities, as well as office accommodation and workshops. Doric is the ninth largest construction company in WA by combined value of its current projects, according to data and insights. In other news, Western Australia has recorded its fifth workplace fatality this month after the death of a teenage worker following an incident at a Welshpool industrial workplace this morning. A WorkSafe spokesperson confirmed the death of the 16-year-old who was employed at TLC Surface Treatment in Welshpool. The spokesperson said the incident occurred at about 8am with WorkSafe investigators still on site. A WA police spokesperson said the 16-year-old sustained critical injuries at the location and later died in hospital. And lastly, Australia's population has recorded its fastest growth in 15 years as overseas immigration surged, with WA achieving the most rapid growth of any state. WA's population grew by 2.3% in the year to December 2022, compared to national growth of 1.9%, the highest seen since 2008. While high population growth is normally seen as positive, the current trend has added to concerns about the national housing shortage. And that's all from me this afternoon. Coming up next on the podcast, Jack McGinn and Mark Powell discuss the unfolding PwC scandal and how it could impact government consulting. The business world is teeming with opportunities to succeed. And every day is a chance for the ambitious to learn, know and grow. Over recent years, we have built the greatest business journalist team in WA, delivering you the most trusted, comprehensive, intelligent and up-to-date news across every sector, every platform, every day. No fluff, all informative stuff. At Business News, we believe progress boils down to one simple habit. That is, what you subscribe to today shapes what you will become tomorrow. Subscribe to success. Subscribe to Business News. Visit businessnews.com.au forward slash subscribe for more information. Welcome back to Our Close of Business. I'm Jack McGinn and today I'm joined by Mark Pownall. Mark, how are you going? I'm well, thanks. That's good. That's good. So, Mark, the saga around PwC's tax practice has been in the headlines for months and uh, and it drew some pertinent comment from uh, a man named Peter Westland recently as, as uh, he headed out to front a Senate inquiry. Who is Peter and what is he trying to achieve? Yeah, so Peter is the national president of the... Institute of Management Consultants, 
which is an association that rep- obviously represents management consultants. Uh, and he's Perth-based, which is kind of how I ended up bumping into him prior to him heading over to talk to the Senate. Uh, and we got talking about this Senate inquiry, which has a very long name, but effectively it's into management consulting, which uh, is looking at the rather large-scale practice of uh, government employing management consultants to do all sorts of work uh, on behalf of them. And uh, look, what is he trying to achieve? Um, So I think it'd be fair to say that the Institute represents uh, the smaller end of the management consulting sector, the the sole practitioners, the small groups, and the ones that do most by number uh, consulting to government at federal and state level are the big Typically, uh, the big four accounting firms and the big three uh, management consulting, global management consulting firms and a few others, and they effectively are not part of the, uh, the membership. So there's no overarching membership or overarching rules and guidelines or overarching ethics and standards for the management consulting sector in this country. So there's nobody that applies to those big four and the little guys the big four separately yeah so um unlike say accounting Mm. where typically uh an accountant will be either a chartered accountant or a cpa and actually that you know in some ways that divides the accounting world a little bit and then they all have to typically uh meet international standards on in certain areas you know how they do accounts and all that sort of stuff um there's no such uh overall guide so let's just take pwc when they are consulting to the government they have their own potentially their own ethics their own conflict of interest uh, standards and guidelines but it's all within pwc it's not guided by any other overarching rules whereas if a pwc auditor is doing something they are guided by overarching rules and regulations that they have to abide by Right. So in the wake of everything that's happened, that probably seems like something that might need to change. Well, you know, I guess we'll find out. Um, Obviously, there are different um, versions of influence here. Uh, No doubt, notwithstanding the issues that PwC's had, the accounting firms will say, look, we've got some pretty standard ethics and, and conflict guides here. You know, without, they're not exactly apples and oranges, you know, potentially, and I'm pretty sure Deloitte said this in the Senate inquiry, potentially some sort of regulation may be required to codify that. Mm. Um, So government at the very least can say, well, this is what you must abide by. Whereas Peter Westland's association is more about saying, well, no, we've already got these international guides. Wouldn't it be better if we introduced these into Australia and made sure that anybody who was dealing with government abided by them and was had had uh, understood them mm. and was certified potentially to uh, in, in in them right mm. um, and and that is uh, you know <laughs> arguably a good idea um, but of course it is it suits you know his organization and who they are they, they, they also want to see I think more more management consultants who are part of the public service who are then guided by these rules 
and those people are either doing internal work or managing the external work that comes in rather than the moment you've kind of got just people who are public servants uh, contracting out big uh, projects to the accounting firm or management consulting firm yep. and, you know, the, the, where's the guide here? Who's, who's regulating that interaction? That's the question. Mm. So you've obviously spoken to a few people in the consulting game um, on the saga and, and everything around it. How are those that are in the industry viewing what's happening at the moment? Well, there's t- two things that I think are worth noting. A lot of people that I spoke to didn't particularly want to go on the record for obvious reasons. Yep. I think there's a few of them go there, but for the grace of God, go I, go I. And it's not so much that, oh, they're all doing it. It's just, you know, it, if you look at the PwC um, scandal as it stands, you've really got started by one person and then maybe a small group have, you know, kind of gone in on that. And I think at the moment they're talking about 50 people who had an email of which they're not even sure that everybody in that 50 actually read the emails that were around or, or knew what the substance of them. Mm. Uh, and then you're talking nine partners and yet, you know, PwC would have hundreds of partners across the country. So hang on, you know, one mistake is, you know, pretty bad. So none of them want to, none of them want to, and I'm very clear about that, put the boots in, right? Yep. So first of all, they all could think cheap as this could happen. No matter how squeaky clean they believe their systems are, this could happen to anybody. But secondly, they don't want to put the boots in because they acknowledge that they work with PwC people in other fields and other parts or tax people here who have not had been involved in this and therefore don't feel that it's fair to do that. The other side of the coin is they talk about don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, that there's a lot of good that comes from using consultants. There is... First of all, the flex capacity, right? So, you, you you've got to do you've got to go. A government's got to come up with a policy and drive change around something, and not everybody they don't necessarily have all that expertise in house, and they don't need to have it in house because it might be needed for a brief period to get something happening, and then after that, it's not required. Secondly, they may not have that knowledge because it's, you know, very, very much a narrow expertise and in many cases may not even be available in Australia and global experts need to be brought in. So, you know, someone in France or the UK or the US may be a specialist in some particular field and they can be occupied full time by PricewaterhouseCoopers or Bain & Co because they can do jobs all around the world but they can't be occupied full-time in Western Australia in the Department of, you know, Justice or, you know, the federal government's Department of Defence, if that makes sense. So they're saying you've got to be careful you don't, by putting too much regulation, guidelines and rules, you don't rule out getting the best to do what you need to be done. It's an interesting point and it probably speaks a little bit to the next thing that I wanted to speak about, which was the use of charts in your story that illustrated the um, breakdown of government funds spent with consulting firms and overwhelmingly with a handful of consulting firms. What did you learn from digging into those numbers? Yeah, okay. So uh, I learned a lot. I mean, you know, there are a lot of big numbers bandied around and uh, I certainly, once you dig in, go, yeah, they are big numbers, you know, like they're they're really quite big. Mm. Um, I just have to, for the listeners' sake, um, I didn't, I wasn't able to compare apples with apples when I looked at federal and state government spending. The state government puts out its consultant spending report once every six months, um, 
and it does go back a, a few years, but I didn't have the opportunity to go and drag all that out. And mm. funnily enough, government doesn't do it for you. They actually make it quite difficult to pull the figures out, as I found. Um, so I only did one year, the, the last financial year for state. The opposite is true of the federal government. The federal government don't regularly report this from what I can understand. But what when this new federal government came in, they did a 10-year version and looked at consulting costs over 10 years. So you've got, I've got one year in state compared with 10 years in federal. It's not apples with apples. But actually the same groups largely appear at the top, um, especially when it comes to the, uh, the, the, those uh, broad-based consulting firms. So you, you definitely see the big four largely in the top 10, uh, and you definitely see you know a couple of the global consulting firms. Also, GHD, oddly enough, an engineering consulting firm appears mm. in both. So, uh, and again, you know, I can't 100% sh- be sure that GHD was there for a decade in the state, but it is notable that they were there both times. Um, I'll also add that there's two different types of number, especially at the federal level. So let's take PwC, which was the biggest by value uh, consulting firm that the federal government used in the past 10 years, 400 plus million on consulting. That actually represented about 30% or less than 30% of what um, uh, PwC earned out of the federal government because there's a kind of a broader consulting term that they don't actually call consulting where <clears throat> the industry call it body shopping effectively where a person at um, you know PwC is then basically put in-house in a government department, or it might be a group of people, and effectively become employees of that government department, but the, the employment bill is paid to PwC. And so it's still a consulting charge, but it's different than a per-hour consulting fee or however they do their normal consulting. Anyway, so actually PwC earned $1.4 billion out of the federal government um, over that 10-year period. Wow. That's that's a huge number. Yeah. Do you think that we've seen the full extent of the fallout of all of this with PwC? Is there still more to come? What's next? Uh, I think there is a lot more to come. I think PwC is lucky that this happened in Australia and not the US because I think it's so big here. If that was magnified at the US level, it would be catastrophic. And I think the example out there is Arthur Anderson and what happened with Enron in the late 90s and mm. early 2000s. Uh, that happened in the US and that brought Anderson down. It, it disappeared as a result. I don't think Australia is big enough in global terms to have that impact. And therefore, I suspect this will just be a really terrible time to be involved with PwC for a while and I suspect it'll hurt them because there's been a number of departments and other agencies said well they're not using PwC now until you know for you know sort of suspension Um, that will have long-term ramifications on the size of the business in Australia its profitability and therefore I think I think by nature it'll most likely shrink Um, but that will just mean it's not potentially the biggest of the big four or the second biggest or whatever it is today, it might just drop down a rank or two. And I'm only speculating, I don't know. Um, whether that'll spill over to the corporate side, 
you know, like audit and all that. I, I just doubt it. Um, I don't because it's a relationships business, mm. and I think people generally say, "Well, you know, my relationship with is is with X," um, and there's already enough conflict of interest across uh, the accounting world and having to deal with that. That to pull to have one big firm disappear would cause more, even more dramas. Um, in this, in a sense, uh, the irony is that uh, EY was going to split its consulting and accounting wings into two different companies, and it, f- after several years of trying to engineer that, it actually decided not to do that quite recently, and that's at international level. So I wonder if this event here in Australia might not cause some more rethink around that. But again, I'm just not sure whether the butterfly wings in Australia causes the chaos around the globe that it might have done if it was a different, uh, if it was in a bigger market. It could be a catalyst. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be watching with interest. Mark, uh, if people want to read a bit more about this one, they can do so right up front of the most recent edition of Business News and online as of today. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Matt. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.